You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today, we're going to talk all about food. But first, catch up on life lately. Sarah, what's been happening with you? Well, right now we're getting ready to take a trip this week to Missouri. That's where I'm from, and we haven't been back since January. So I'm looking forward to that. It's where my parents are, where my sister and her husband are, and then my brother and his two children are coming in, and my aunt is also coming in. So it will be a full house, including kids ages 2, 3, 4, and 5. So that's the big thing, is just getting ready for that and anticipating it. I've been looking forward to it for a couple months now. The other thing that's going on is the time change, which just happened this morning. And as an adult, it's great to get an extra hour, but your kids don't necessarily get the memo. And my daughter wakes up between 5.20 and 5.40 before the time change. Oh, my gosh. So this morning she was up at 4.20 to 4.40, which was fine this morning because today obviously just feels like it did yesterday. Um, But it's going to start feeling bad if she doesn't make that switch soon. And going to Missouri will be another hour falling back. So I'm just concerned about her waking up between 3.20 and 3.40 oh my while gosh. we're there. Because no one else will be up then. And my brother's coming in from the West. So his kids have the opposite problem where they sleep even later in the morning. And his kids are naturally sleep later. And my kids naturally wake up earlier. So anyway, just contemplating that and hoping that we can, uh, keeping the kids up a little later the first couple nights, they'll get with the program here. Well, best of luck with that. Thank you. Oh, how about you, Abby? You have some very exciting life lately news to share. I do have exciting news. So I think what Sarah's referring to is that because I live in a swing state, Plum and I got to meet Obama the other day. So we have friends who know someone on Obama's advance team, and we got invited because our friends are very gracious and wanted to include us. So we got to go see Air Force One land, and then we were part of a really small group of people there at the Raleigh Airport. So Obama loves babies. So I just handed my nine-month-old over, and he held her for probably 30 seconds, maybe a minute. And it was probably the most incredible thing that's happened in the history of our family. And I don't know how she's going to top it in her life. So she's peaked (laughs) at nine months old, which is really too bad for her. But oh, well, Um, that was really fun. I got so teary just looking at the pictures of it and thinking about like her getting to look back on that when she's older, too, and just having that just so cool for your whole family. I had a huge grin on my face the whole day that it happened and just seeing the pictures. It's just so cool. Well, thanks, Sarah. Yeah, it was really wonderful and special. And we really think that he's an awesome president and an awesome person. So it was like there was going to be any president that we wanted to hold our baby. Obama was it. So nothing else really compares to that. (laughs) Otherwise... (laughs) Um, I was nannying and I finished that at the end of October. So it's nice to be back home most days doing childcare and house things, uh, being able to focus a little bit more on writing and on getting this podcast launched. So that's been really exciting for us. Okay, Sarah, now let's move on to what we've been reading. What have you been reading? So I just finished Gone with the Wind which I had not read before, and I had not seen the movie. 
So I'm sure most people culturally have just picked up on what the plot of that book is. (laughs) I am not one of those people. (laughs) So I read the book. I got completely sucked in. It consumed my life for almost exactly a week. I was reading that in the morning when I was up with E. I was reading it at rest time. I was reading it when an HP was in preschool. And uh, just any second that I could get, I was reading that book. Um, Really enjoyed the story. It was really fascinating with all of the, the conversation that's been happening with race in our country and reading a book about the Civil War in the South and slavery that was written in 1936 by somebody from the South. And so reading it, I kept thinking, okay, is she writing about the attitudes as they were then? Or is it some sort of larger justification that is still in the minds of people for why slavery was okay and why it's really people in the North that were racist and um, just lots of questions along those lines. So trying to tease that out of what was just portraying it as it was and I felt like a lot of justification for really terrible things. Um, yeah, you've re- I know you've read the book. Did you have any thoughts along those lines? I've read it multiple times, and I watched the movie a lot. I haven't read it lately, and I have done much more reading and learning and education about my own white privilege and about race generally in our country since the last time I read it. I think probably the last time I read it was maybe in college. Okay. So I'm really interested to go back and read it again and to hear and see like how it strikes me since I've done, I think a much better job educating myself. Mm -hmm. I loved that book and I loved the movie, but I'm, I'm really interested to see how it would strike me now. It's still an epic love story, but I wonder if the backdrop of justifying slavery would rankle much more than it ever did when I was younger, when I read it. Yeah. So I watched a couple clips on YouTube of the movie, and I have to say I'm not interested in watching the whole four-hour drama played out, that the way that they spoke was so different than I imagined it in my head, and that really bothered me, mostly that they talked so much faster than I imagined it. So these really poignant moments in the book I felt were just rushed through in the movie, at least in the few clips that I saw. So I have I don't really have a desire to watch the movie after reading it. It's an interesting book to movie question because I I'm pretty sure I saw the movie before I ever read the book. Mm-hmm. So I was already thinking of the actors as the characters already. And mm-hmm. it was nice for me to read the book and get even more detail. So I think in the movie, uh, Scarlett only has one kid. Oh, so her two sons are completely eliminated. Okay, And it was nice to get more detail, but uh, I didn't have that same experience because I started with the movie and then read the book. Yeah. Also, Sarah, you might know about this, but there is a sequel that was not written by Margaret Mitchell. Okay. Called Scarlet, which is another epic love story. Okay. And you might... I might need to read that. Think about it. I might, because I was unsatisfied at the end of the book. I also had some major problems with her as a character that might be resolved if the story continued. They may not, but yeah, really enjoyed it. And I'm glad to have that cultural knowledge also. My sister listened to the audiobook one or two years ago, and she had made the comment about getting so many more cultural references that she's been missing all these years because she hadn't read the book before. So that's fascinating. 
What have you been reading lately? So I just finished Love Warrior by Glennon Doyle Melton. Mm -hmm. And Glennon Doyle Melton is a blogger, started as a blogger, now a writer and an activist. And she founded the Monastery online community and blog, which has sort of morphed into Together Rising, which is a charity. And she is very present on social media, like Instagram and Facebook. And I enjoy following her on social media. And I like participating in the giving events that they do through Together Rising. But I didn't love her first book. So I was a little bit hesitant to read this next one. I didn't go right out and get it. But then I was invited while we were visiting Andrew's parents to go see Glennon. She had a speaking event and we got a copy of the book for free. So I just had it sitting around and when I needed something to read, I picked it up and I actually really enjoyed it. I found it to be much more mature. Hmm. The writing and her self-awareness was much seemed to be at a much higher level than I felt like it was in her first book and in the sort of blogging that she does on a daily basis. You know, blogging isn't necessarily edited. She just, she's very clear that she just puts things out there as she's feeling them in the hopes that they'll reach someone else who's feeling the same way. And I think there is a lot of value in that. But sometimes it's a little bit hard for me to read. So I really appreciated that the book was still raw emotionally and it felt very real and honest and authentic. But it was also polished enough and edited well so that I could I felt like I could take it in you read Love Warrior too right I did yeah and just to give listeners a little bit of a picture of what the book's about it's a story about like her marriage and discovering her husband's infidelity and the fallout from that so and I I don't think that's a spoiler I feel like that's pretty clear going into it that that's um, what the story is going to be about I think what I enjoyed most about the book was her honesty, and it made me think a lot about how honest are we really in all of our relationships, even ones that seem to be going well, and watching her really take everything back to zero with her relationship and then build it back up again, it just made me think about that you don't need some catastrophe to do that and to look at things that maybe aren't huge problems, but that could still benefit from the kind of what I would say is radical honesty and authenticity that she promotes. So I think there's a lot there. Absolutely. And I've been having sort of a big time Glennon time. So I saw her in person Mm -hmm. and then I listened to the last episode of Big Magic with, which is Elizabeth Gilbert's podcast. And it was a conversation between her and Glennon. So she was talking more about this stuff. And then I listened to another podcast uh, episode and I can't even remember what it was, but it was Glennon having really real conversations about it. And I just have been appreciating her lately. And I also appreciate that even though she is doing this radical on honesty thing. She says that she's put it out there many years after she's already worked through it herself. So it's not like she's using her book as a way to get therapy from her readers to solve this stuff. She's done the work herself and it's more chronicling that journey. And that I really appreciated about it too. Yeah. And I also, as a parent, I thought a lot about what is that going to look like when her kids read the book. And I mean, to her, I think that she just really 
believes in this type of authenticity and that everybody has problems and that we'd really all be better off if we were more honest about it so that people didn't feel so alone and that people could get the help that they need as opposed to keeping everything private. But having children, I don't want them knowing the intimate details of my marriage. And that's me, but it's just something that I thought about as I was reading it is that she has three children who are going to read this book. Yeah, that's fascinating. It didn't even occur to me that, yes, her, her children would be reading. I think you have children that are much closer to reading age. <laughs> Still a ways out. And maybe that's why. <laughs> so. Maybe that's why it came into your head like that. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's an interesting thought too. I wonder if by writing the book and being really deliberate about what she included in there and mm -hmm. being able to mull over it for a long time means that she can hand that to them and say, if you have any questions about this, let's talk about it. But then it doesn't, you know, sort of come out bit by bit and have them hear things, her children hear things that may or may not be accurate, but she can hand it to them and say, your dad and I are happy to talk to you about anything that's in here. I mean, that could be a, a positive of it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of positives of it, of looking at it and saying real marriage is messy. And having a really clear example of that, I think is powerful. So I definitely think there's benefits, but I think it's, I still, I think I still tend towards being fairly private about the details of my life. Um, then again, we're launching a podcast where we're just talking and letting anybody listen who wants to. So And sharing details about our lives. <laughs> Yep. So that's actually a great transition, Sarah. We're going to move now to details about a very important part of our life, which is talking about food. So let's start first with some questions about our general food philosophies. So in your house, Sarah, are you guys vegetarian or omnivorous or vegan? And how have you come to that? Yeah, we are generally vegetarian, but not strictly. I was a strict vegetarian from age 14 to about 22. And then I ate fish for a year also. And then I moved to being omnivorous. Although I have really never strayed too far from my vegetarian ways. I became much more educated about local food and the importance of that. And so then Neil and I switched to eating local meat when we wanted to eat meat and then otherwise eating vegetarian. And now I would say we're looser. We're not, all meat does not have to be local meat for us to consume it. Uh, but we generally eat vegetarian in our house. So I would say we eat meat in our home that we cook maybe once every two months. Otherwise we're vegetarian. And a lot of that is because that's what I'm most comfortable cooking. Because when I, my formative cooking years, I was vegetarian. So I'm not very comfortable cooking meat. Um, another part of that is cost, that meat is much more expensive. So we tend and we like vegetarian food. So we tend toward that. How about you guys? Yeah, we mostly eat vegetarian, though I think we're, I say mostly, probably fewer than three meals a week have meat, which is still a majority, but less than you guys for sure. Yeah. And when we do eat meat, we like it to be local if possible and humanely raised if possible, but we also eat meat at other people's houses and don't sort of worry about that. Yeah. We do like meat. And I would say that we tend to use it more as a garnish than as a main dish. So it's much less likely that we would be having steak than we would fry up a few strips of bacon and throw it in the lentils. So 
that's the way that we eat meat in our house. Yeah. And our my kids really love meat. They'll both ask for meat. And they don't say, I want sausage or chicken or beef. They say, I want meat. And that there will be... HP has even taken to saying that he is going to kill animals in our backyard so we can eat the meat. You know, because first when he said that, I thought, why are you wanting to kill animals? This does not seem like a good thing to be coming out of your brain. But it was very specific that he wanted it to eat the meat. And he was telling our neighbor that he was going to catch rabbits and kill them so we can eat the meat. And she's a chef. And she's like, OK, well, if you catch any rabbits, bring them to me and I'll show you how you can skin them and eat them. <laughs> so I don't think there's any danger. <laughs> yeah, of him actually getting a rabbit. But when they say they want meat, what are what do they mean? Um, usually the kind of meat we have is, well, it depends. If we're out, they often have chicken. Um, at home, it's usually ground sausage, bacon, or ground beef. But really, that's every couple months that we would get that. So it's more um, if we ever eat out, they get it. Or if we're visiting other people, both of our parents eat meat. Um, so for there. So yeah, it's not often. But they like it. Yep, sure do. Plum likes meat too, actually. She's... She's eating just about everything now, and um, she really likes pulled pork and ground sausage, mm -hmm. so sort of those fatty, softer meats. She has enjoyed them so far. Yeah, those are the ones my kids eat the most, too. You know, talking about our kids is a, is a good transition to this next question that I have, which is how do your ideas about food interact with your parenting? I think that, in general, we just try and eat whole foods is our motto, both because it's healthier and because it's more cost effective to do that. Um, we can fly through a box of crackers in 20 minutes or less in our house. So it's not a very <laughs> cheap way for us to snack throughout the week where other things would last much longer. I think it comes in more with how we do meals and our approach to food with them in general, which is here's the food we are offering you. You may eat it or you cannot. But that's the choice. And that's usually at dinner, especially, that's it. It's like, here's dinner. A lot of times they don't eat it, and that's fine. And they can just get down from the table. But there's no other food offered the rest of the night. It's like, if you're hungry, you can come back and eat what's on your plate. And usually they just drink more milk. If they really dislike what is being offered, then they end up having a milk dinner, which that's fine. I don't want food to become a focus in an obsessive type way. I want it to just be we eat food to fuel our bodies and because it's delicious and it's great to enjoy it, but not worrying so much about how many vegetables have they eaten and how much of this and just trusting that they know how to feed themselves. I actually am really inspired by the way you do food with your kids. And that's one reason why I wanted to talk about it in this podcast, because we are still, Andrew and I are still considering a lot of these questions, thinking about Plum and as she grows up mm -hmm. and how we'll handle it. And I love when I visited you and shared meals with your family, how, what good eaters your kids are. They seem to eat just about everything and they seem to really enjoy their food. Yeah. And they are confident in themselves about what they like and don't like. And I just really appreciate that. So we'll be thinking about many of those things. And you guys have dinner together every night as a family, right? We do. Yeah, dinner's the one meal where we're all together. And I mean, it looks a little rough at this stage with a two and four year old where E usually doesn't want to sit by herself. Lately, she's wanting to stand all the time or she wants to sit in someone's lap, 
which I have an issue with personal space at the table where I really don't want anybody sitting on my lap while I'm eating my meal. I don't have to acquiesce, but lately it's been in a stage where that is just the easiest thing for us to have meals as a family to do. And as I said, they often don't want what I make for dinner. I do not cater to their tastes. We have what we're having. If they want things separate, that's fine. I won't mix things together that I know they don't want mixed, but I will not make anything different for them. Uh, In general, mealtimes look rough, but we do all have dinner together where we'll sit there and at least Neil and I will stay at the table until we finish our dinner. The kids can get down and run around. And dinner time often, it's maybe 15 minutes if we're lucky. Yeah. (laughs) So I look forward to the day where it is more extended. I look forward to the day where family meals are a thing. At this point, Plum is hungry at 5 p.m. for her dinner. And then she goes to sleep at like 6.30, which tonight will probably be 5.30 (laughs) because of daylight savings time. Um, But we don't do family dinner yet. And our tradition up till now, Andrew and I, has been to eat on our laps in front of the TV or listening to a podcast. So I think that the having the kid around will be a good excuse to eat at the table more Yeah, and to cultivate some meaningful traditions around spending time together while we eat dinner. Yeah. I think before HP, we did the same thing. We used to watch, we love The Office is our main thing, but we used to sit and watch an episode of The Office while we were eating. And then we'd usually chat afterwards when the episode was over. But I think it was having him that really inspired us to start doing it. And I think it was not too long like around Plum's age because before that, he would eat and then we would purposefully not eat because he went to bed super early, just like Plum. And then we liked having dinner afterwards right. by ourselves. Yeah, to have so, family yeah. or couple time. Yeah. It's nice to be adults at that point. It is. Yes. So how often do you guys get takeout or go out to eat? Not very often right now. So we probably get takeout, I would say averaging once a month, where it's just a night where I just do not want to cook. And we often get Chipotle when that is the case, because it's something that we all like and that's really easy and is on the way home for Neil to pick up. Eating out at a restaurant as a family, we basically never do that, the four of us. When we do that is when we have company in town. Mm -hmm. We did it when Abby was in town. We did it whenever our parents come to town. We usually get at least takeout or go out to eat one night. And the kids are great in restaurants. It's not a problem with that. It's just we usually eat at home. And when we do go out to eat, we like to eat Indian food and Thai food are our two favorites and Mexican food. I would say we get Indian most often because that's what our whole family agrees on. (laughs) I love Indian food. We have some great Indian food restaurants around here. We really like to do that. I would say we go out to eat probably once a week. But what we do most often is actually go out uh, for breakfast on Sunday morning. Mm. So if we go to church or even if we don't go to church, we walk to our favorite biscuit place, which is a little deli. And we get amazing biscuits there. So my favorite biscuit is a sausage cheddar baked apple biscuit. And it's really amazing the salty and sweet combo is perfection yeah I think that place wasn't open when I was there like it was in the process of opening or something that there was the sign but there wasn't a place so there's actually two biscuit places within two blocks of each other okay (laughs) and and we alternate we like both of them okay but 
But Andrew usually gets a bacon, egg, and cheese, sort of a classic. Mm -hmm. The Dark Horse biscuit choice is a pimento cheese and bacon, Mm. which is really good. And they also sell this amazing local chocolate milk there, which I really love to get. It's basically like a melted chocolate milkshake. It's so delicious. So that's what we like to do uh, most when we go out. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So you and I have both said that I think you guys more than we do, but we both tend to eat at home. Mm -hmm. So as we both know, that can require a lot of planning. So what does that look like in your family? Usually it looks like Saturday morning, I get out a list and I write out seven meals for the next week and then make the grocery list because we do all of our shopping Saturday morning. The store that we shop at is right by the farmer's market. So we stop there first and then we go to the market. And that's also where we pick up our CSA, uh, which is community supported agriculture. For those who don't know, you get a bag or basket of food from a farmer every week throughout the growing season. And do you make your list before you get your CSA list? That's what you're saying, right? I do. Or your CSA box. Yeah. You know, in the summer, we got our CSA on Wednesday, which was nice because then I got an infusion of fresh food midweek, which was great. And then I also knew what I had for at least the first part of the next week when I was writing my shopping list. But For the winter one, we're actually picking it up downtown at the market. And so it has been a little bit more challenging, but I generally know what's going to be in there. You know, it's fall. There's going to be root vegetables, squash, greens. So that hasn't felt too challenging. Honestly, we've been in a major food rut where we've just been eating the same things over and over. Or I'll just assume, well, I'm sure there's something in the CSA that we can make for one meal. So we eat so many beans, rice, and then egg dishes. So as long as we have all of the dried goods stocked, and then when we get the CSA, I'm fairly confident that we can make something throughout the week. How about you guys? How do Who does the meal plans in your family? So I do the meal plans with significant input from Andrew. So I'll make a list of meals, or I'll make it while he's sitting right there, and he'll suggest things. And we actually created a shared Google Doc or maybe a spreadsheet, but it has Mm -hmm. links to all the recipes that we have online or just lists of them if they're in hard copy somewhere in our house or, you know, just things that we know how to make because we make them enough. And so that's a nice list to pull from. Andrew will actually usually open that up and say, oh, okay, we haven't had this in a while. How about this? Which is nice. It's nice to have that input. But then I um, do usually make the list and usually go shopping. I'm experimenting with different days to go shopping. When I was nannying full-time and was out of the house, I had to shop on the weekends, which felt like a lot. But I'm trying Monday mornings now because usually the grocery stores are stocked after the weekend of being shopped out, but there's hardly ever anyone there. So then I can hit our food co-op and another grocery store if I need to also. like Sometimes I'll go to Trader Joe's in addition to the food co-op. But that's that's when I'm doing it. And I do. I plan for a week at a time and try and have enough of coffee, yogurt, butter, fruit, veg to get us through that whole week. And and usually that works out pretty well. Yeah, we usually make it. Our fridge is looking pretty sad by Friday that we're definitely scraping the bottom of the barrel. I'd like to be better about having more stuff in stock than we do because right now we really run through it all. But Neil's work is actually on the, the co-op is on the way home. So if we ever need just one or two things, he can always stop, which is great. And that's 
you know, helped us in a pinch many times. It's the same. Andrew walks right by yeah. the food co-op on his way home. So I'll be like, oh, we need to make yogurt tomorrow. Please get a gallon of milk. Mm-hmm. And then he likes it because he usually gets a six pack of beer as well for his reward <laughs> for stopping nice. to, to pick up milk. Yeah. So we've talked about planning. Uh-huh. What does prep and cooking look like yeah. in your house? It has definitely changed over the years. So at this phase in our life, I really am the one who does almost all of the cooking. It used to be that Neil would cook one or two nights a week. Um, And then I would do the dishes because right now I cook and he does the dishes. But it came to be that I really like cooking more than he does. And I also have a much stronger preference for what we're eating every day than he does. That certain days I just really want to eat something or I really don't want to eat a certain something. And I get to control that when I'm cooking. And then also the practical matter of he's at work and I'm at home. So we eat early because our kids go to bed early. So he gets home right around five and we are almost always eating by 5.30, somewhere between five and 5.30, the meal's ready. But if he were to cook, it would be ready much later. I also really like that then I'm off duty as soon as the kids are in bed where he still has to clean the kitchen. And so after being home all day with the kids and then cooking, it's nice to just be done. So I think in the future, when the kids are school-aged and our work situation might look different, that we might return to a more equitable division of the cooking and cleaning, where we both cook and clean a more equal amount. But maybe not, because I am the one who really likes to cook, and he's not. (laughs) So Yeah. I'm the main preparer of food. I was going to say chef, but let's be honest, that's a little (laughs) bit of a reach for me. I'm the main preparer of food in our house. And that's by necessity, just because of me being home and Mm -hmm. Andrew getting home pretty late. He gets home, I would say, between 5.45 and 6.30, depending on the day, which means that if I want to eat in any reasonable amount of time and I want to cook food and not buy it, then I have to cook it myself. Yeah. And that was the same when you were both working, too, because you got off work sooner than he did that you were still even then. Yeah, because I had an adjusted schedule. I would get to work at seven uh-huh. and um, leave work at four yeah. so that I was still home by five usually most days, which meant that I had that hour to cook, yeah. which worked well for us and has, has been working well. I would envision that, that it will stay like that for a while. He He also can cook. And often we'll jump in on on things because he knows how to make most of the things that we make. So he'll jump in on prep with me. Mm-hmm. But sometimes what he does is does the bedtime for plum. Mm-hmm. So I would say more than half the time he comes home and does bedtime while I'm doing cooking, which is nice because then I feel like I'm off duty, even though I'm still doing technically a chore. Yeah. But I think I'm like you and that I do enjoy cooking, being by myself, yep. doing an adult thing. Not having anyone squawking at me because she'd like to be picked up or she's eating dog food while I'm trying to cook, which is what happens sometimes when she's not otherwise occupied. Yeah, I remember that from when HP was that same age was just I was really by myself in the kitchen when Neil would get home because he would take HP. And then I would just remember listening to NPR and cooking and just breathing this huge sigh of just like, ah, just so nice yeah so it feels a little less relaxed to me lately because I have two children running around while I'm trying to cook but um you know it changes so it'll be different in a few years it's different all the time yep so 
Talking about prepping meals, I think now is the perfect time for us to talk about our very favorite appliance, the Instant Pot. Yes. And you have an Instant Pot and I have an Instant Pot, but I'd like you to talk about how you got introduced to the Instant Pot and maybe give a little bit of an introduction to what it is for people who have not yet been exposed to its greatness yet. Yes. The Instant Pot is an electric pressure cooker, and I heard about it last fall sometime. I think through a blog that I follow, she was looking for a replacement for her crock pot and she was saying that she'd heard so much about the instant pot she wasn't sure she would use all the features because it's more expensive than a regular crock pot and I thought instant pot what is that so of course I follow the link and learn some more and just had it in the back of my mind but then we started getting into making yogurt and in the winter it's a problem if you don't have something that can keep it warm our yogurt was having trouble setting because it wasn't able to stay at the right incubation temperature. And the Instant Pot has a yogurt function that solves that problem. And then it also acts as a slow cooker. It also acts as a pressure cooker. And we eat so many beans that we use that all the time. So that's the general gist. It has seven functions. I only use pressure cooker, yogurt, and saute. I don't know if you use the other settings, Abby, or not. I mostly cook on manual, so yeah. manual would just be pressure cooking. I haven't slow cooked in there yet because I still do have another slow cooker okay. that I use occasionally. It's also a rice cooker, so I've cooked rice in there too. I cook rice, but I still use the manual mode when I cook rice. It depends the kind you use. Right. So if I do brown rice, I use manual. Yeah. But if I do white rice, which I have just once, actually, because I was making it for a specific dish, uh-huh. then I did use the rice cooker function. Yeah. So I we ended up buying one at the around the first of the year. And I had trouble justifying it. One, because I don't like large appliances in general. I don't like things taking up space on my counter. And I felt like, well, we're cooking everything that we cook now just fine on the stovetop. So why do we need another appliance that is doing the same thing? And it's true. I can still cook everything on the stovetop if I needed to, but it's really nice to just throw it in and not have to worry about it. Where if you cook rice on the stovetop, you need to bring it to a boil and then you need to know when it's at a boil and turn it back down to a simmer. And where with the Instant Pot, you just throw it in and set it and then you can leave. So it's been great to be able to put dinner in the Instant Pot and then walk out in the backyard and play with the kids for a while or go to the park and come back when it's ready. Yeah, I would say that's the main advantage which makes it well worth the money. Mm-hmm. And I got a great deal on the Instant Pot because I got it on Prime Day yeah. this just this past July. So I've had it less than a year, less than half a year, I should say. But I mean, it's huge to me that you can just put things in yeah, and then you just set it and leave it and it keeps it warm mm-hmm. even when it's done. Yeah. So I haven't left things for a really long time. You know, I haven't left, a, left it for hours or anything like that. But I love that I can set it and then not think about it so that lentils are just in there and ready to be seasoned whenever Andrew gets home and I get to do real cooking. So I just pour them in there with the water and a little salt and then it's happening. Yeah. And I don't have to think about it again. Do you use the timer function too? Because you know, you can also set it to start, like you put everything in and then have it start in two hours. I just heard you saying that you can like keep it warm, but you could do it so it's actually finishing when you get home instead of... Yeah, I haven't tried that yet. No, you're opening my my eyes to all sorts of new possibilities, Sarah. So, and I was less resistant to the Instant Pot because 
I think I'm less resistant to stuff generally. <laughs> um, and because you had raved about it. And so I was like, yeah. well, if Sarah thinks that this is justifiable, then it must be totally worth it. And didn't you see it when you were visiting me right before you bought it? Or was it right after you bought it? Yes, because wasn't I there like July 3rd or something? Yeah. Like very beginning of July? Yeah. So it's awesome. If you need a new appliance to ask for, for holiday giving time listeners, this is the one to ask for. Yeah. It's totally worth it. And we eat a lot of yogurt. That's another thing. I know you mentioned this, Sarah, but I just want to... Mm-hmm re-emphasize we were buying tons of the 24 ounce Mm -hmm. cartons of yogurt and now we can just buy one gallon of milk for a week instead which is a significant cost cost savings over what we were buying before and we just use the yogurt that we like as a starter Mm -hmm. and so it's very similar tasting and I actually think the texture is a little bit better yeah and we've used it so I use it for regular meals for rice beans soups etc. I use it for yogurt, but I've also used it this fall to make applesauce and apple butter, which was really successful and very easy. Um, so there's just many uses, many of which I'm sure we have not yet discovered and we will. So we're going to finish up our discussion about food with a lightning round of favorite foods in several different categories. So how it will work is we'll go through, I'll say a category Sarah will say what she usually eats. I'll say what I usually eat. Then Sarah will say her most ideal, most favorite thing in this category. And then I will do the same. And we'll remind you what we're saying as we go, but that's just how it's going to work. So lightning round, favorite foods, first category, breakfast. What I usually eat for breakfast is coffee, fruit, and scrambled eggs and a handful of cashews. What I usually eat for breakfast is steel cut oats with dried fruit, coconut flakes, and slivered almonds. My ideal or favorite breakfast would be hash browns, eggs, coffee, and fruit. Really kind of the same thing I eat. That's nice. That is nice. How, how beautiful is your life? <laughs> My ideal breakfast is a delicious biscuit, which I actually eat just about once a month. So... Lucky me. Yeah. Okay. Next category, lunch. I don't do a very good job of eating a specific meal for lunch on a regular basis. We snack a lot. So I'm often snacking on popcorn, vegetables like carrots and peppers, fruit again. Sometimes I make eggs, but basically a hodgepodge of snacky type things. What I usually eat for lunch is leftovers. So I don't have something specific, but whatever we ate the night before, I like to heat it up and eat it again. My ideal lunch would be tacos. I miss them. I used to live in Austin. And if I could eat tacos every day for lunch, I would. My ideal lunch would probably be a cheeseburger from this amazing cheeseburger place where we live. They make just incredible cheeseburgers with really special toppings. My favorite burger there has pimento cheese, bacon, and caramelized onion jam on it. So that would be my ideal. Next category, dinner. What we usually eat for dinner, beans and rice or lentils. (laughs) Plus some vegetables. (laughs) What we usually eat for dinner is something cooked in the instant pot maybe a bean dish. I would say most often we probably eat black beans and rice. 
my ideal dinner is a really spicy Thai curry, maybe with a delicious appetizer to go with it. What kind of appetizer? We didn't have that as a category, but maybe we should. I know we didn't. Well, if I'm having my Thai curry, I would want some kind of dumpling, like a steamed dumpling or the spring rolls where they wrap it with basil and mint um, and the little rice noodles inside. That would be it. But my family doesn't like spicy food. So when I can eat really spicy food, mm, so good. My ideal dinner would be a huge plate of cheese enchiladas, refried beans, and Mexican rice. As the listeners know, I grew up in Dallas, and it's really hard to find something like that in North Carolina. There's good Mexican food here, but there's really only Tex-Mex in Texas, and I tend to miss it a lot, and it is amazing. And appetizer-wise, the appetizer that fits perfectly with that is cheese dip. Yep. Okay, next category, snack. What I usually have for a snack is popcorn with lots of butter and salt. Yep. What I usually have for a snack are apples with peanut butter on them. My ideal snack would be really delicious, soft, stinky cheese and crackers. My ideal snack would probably be a French fry of some kind. A single one? Yeah, some kind. Or multiple. Multiple multiple fries. Some sort of (laughs) French fry thing. I'm trying to decide it would be cheese fries or just a plain fry fries with dip (laughs) something with ranch dressing probably let's be honest I would also enjoy that okay next category beverage what I usually drink is water what I usually drink is water occasionally fizzy water what I ideally well my ideal beverage I feel like that's hard my favorite one is coffee drinking my coffee in the morning I don't really drink anything besides coffee and water. For a special beverage, I really love a hard cider. I do like hard cider also. And champagne. Oh, I really like champagne. (laughs) I might change my answer to that. (laughs) Okay. So for this last category, we're only going to say our ideal or favorite thing. And the final category is dessert. It is hard for me to choose one, especially because I'm feeling very hungry at this point in our recording session. (laughs) But I would say Moose Tracks ice cream. Mm. I think my very favorite dessert in the whole world is creme brulee. That's a good one. Okay. We're going to finish up by talking about what we're eating, but because we've been talking about food and eating and preparing food all episode, and because Thanksgiving is later this week, we're going to talk about our favorite Thanksgiving dishes. I'll start. My favorite Thanksgiving dish is mashed potatoes, and these are special mashed potatoes that my mother-in-law makes. I have tried unsuccessfully for the past seven years to recreate these mashed potatoes, which she makes with vast quantities of butter and half and half and Yukon gold potatoes. And I swear that I have put sticks on sticks of butter and almost a whole pint of half and half into my mashed potatoes. And they are still not as creamy and delicious as hers are. So we're spending Thanksgiving with my in-laws this year, and I am so excited that I'm going to get to have those mashed potatoes. I love talk of all that butter. That sounds amazing. What about you, Sarah? 
Um, my favorite Thanksgiving food is bubble salad, which is a tradition in my family. It's a fruit salad with lots of grapes that are sliced in half. And that was my job as a kid. So I have a lot of memories of Thanksgiving morning going downstairs. I would watch something on the TV and have my cutting board down on the ground and just slicing all of these grapes. In some years, my mom or dad, whoever did the shopping, would forget to get seedless. And so I'd also be picking out seeds out of the hundreds of little tiny grapes. Um, but I still really love this dish, even after all of that. Um, it's awesome. it's made with a, like a custard and then real whipped cream. So it's not Cool Whip added to it, which I do not love Cool Whip. And then just sweetened, like it's just the fruit itself and then the custard mixed in with the whipped cream. And it's mandarin oranges, pineapple, and grapes. And it's my favorite thing to eat. Red grapes or green grapes? Both red and green grapes. But you could do either. I would say red is a requirement and green is optional. Yeah. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. If you'd like to join in the conversation or offer suggestions for future topics, you can find us online at friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or you can email us friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. Okay, next category. Category. Try that one again, Abby. <laughs> in a perfect, in your perfect day of food, what would you be eating? I love it. <laughs>